Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 365. Today's big Bible questions are, how do we have peace, plus were the disciples primitive yokels who were easily fooled? Well, hello, friends. Happy St. Stephen's Day to you, or happy Boxing Day if you prefer. After today, there are only five episodes left in the year, I believe. And you might be asking, how are we on episode 365 if we have five days left in the year? And that is a, uh, and this is a daily Bible podcast, and there have only been 361 days so far. That's a good question. The issue is, as I've mentioned before, one or two days we had two episodes in a day. And I also skipped counting an episode a time or two because, you know, I don't really know how to count. Don't be too hard on me, though. This is my first time ever in history to do a daily Bible podcast for a year. So our readings for the day begin in 2 Chronicles 31, then Zechariah 13, John 16, and Revelation 17. Revelation 17 is a fascinating passage that I don't fully understand near well enough to do a podcast episode on it. Alas, our focus today for both questions, then, is in our John passage, So let's start with a bit of apologetics first. I think a lot of people dismiss the early disciples' belief in the resurrection of Jesus out of hand for reasons of chronological snobbery, which is when one generation assumes they are better, smarter, more mature, and more advanced than a previous or even a newer generation. In this case, many moderns have assumed over the years that first century people were far more gullible than intelligent modern people, and it would be much easier for them to believe that somebody was going to return from the dead than it would be now. I find the Bible's depiction of the attitudes of the disciples, however, to be quite the opposite from that. They don't come across as slack-jawed yokels that would be eager to believe any and every outrageous claim that was put to them. Instead, in most cases, they actually seem kind of slow to believe in the miraculous, even when they're presented with loads and loads of evidence. For instance, in today's passage, we see the disciples struggling to understand Jesus' statement that he would be leaving them in sorrow and then returning shortly. You see that in verse uh, 16 through 18. Jesus says, in a little while you you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? In a little while you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... They said, what is this he's saying? In a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. So I point that out because, not because it proves really too much of anything, but it does sort of help dispel the notion that the disciples were easily misled and swayed by Jesus. They actually seem as skeptical, maybe more so, and as dense as modern modern people can be sometimes. I'll be honest with you. If I was one of the disciples and I saw Jesus walk on water and raise people from the dead and feed uh, 5,000 plus people out of a meal that would not have fed 12 people, and he said, I'm going to die and come back from the dead, I would say, hmm, you know what? I think I can buy that. I think I can believe it because, I mean, he's walked on water. He's calmed the storm. He's done all these miracles. If he's saying he's going to be able to beat death, I would probably give him the benefit of the doubt. And it doesn't look like the disciples really did that very much. And of course, part of that, I think, is just the extreme shock of the crucifixion. Seeing it viscerally, it's easy for me to say now, sitting in my office recording on my podcasting equipment, that I would believe Jesus, absolutely. Jesus, I'll never deny you. It's easy to say such a thing. It's much 
more difficult, of course, to live it out. Now, all of that's a small note of a bigger concern in today's passage is the promise of peace that Jesus gives us at the end of this passage in John 16. As our church in Salinas has navigated through the Christmas season in a somewhat locked down California, I've tried to focus this in on the promised peace of Jesus throughout this most difficult season. Remember that Jesus was prophesied to be a coming Prince of Peace. Also recall that peace on earth was a very prominent part of the original angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus. The coming of Jesus has brought peace to his people in an unprecedented way. So let's read our John passage and consider his promise and his gift of peace. John chapter 16 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. In a little while you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What's this he's telling us? In a little while you will not see me. Again in a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, What's he saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while you will not see me. Again in a little while you will see me. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, 
Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So that last couple of verses, that's honestly one of my very favorite promises in all of Scripture. Maybe maybe number one. Jesus responded to them and said, Indeed, and I do now believe, indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. But I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And I want you to see how this is not an overly positive, sunshine-pumping, overly optimistic kind of promise. Jesus tells his disciples that real tribulation and trouble is coming. They're going to be scattered and scared. They will abandon their teacher and there will be suffering for both Jesus and his followers. But the teaching of Jesus is that he will not be alone because the Father will be with him and they won't be alone. And the promise of Jesus is that they will have peace in him. That's good news because we don't have to manufacture that peace in ourselves. It comes from Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, Christ dwells in us by faith and by his word in us. And we see him dwelling in us by faith. That's taught in Ephesians three sixteen and 17, where Paul says, I pray that God may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, the peace of Jesus dwells in us because Christ is in us and he promised it to us. And Christ is in us by faith, by belief that he would be in us. And also he is in us and his peace is in us because his word is in us. First John 2, 24 and 25, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. Well, let's close with some great words on peace from Pastor John Piper, who begins by quoting John fourteen twenty seven where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the last hours of his life, Jesus is helping you and I become a fearless and peaceful person. The peace he has in mind may include the final peace of all things in the new heaven and the new earth, but that's not what he's focusing on. He's not focusing on future peace. We know this because he says, let not your heart be troubled, Let neither let it be afraid. He has in view your heart and the peace of your heart and the fearlessness of your heart and the untroubled waters of your heart. He wants his people now to be free from anxiety. And he knows that the only kind of heart peace the world can give us is peace of mind based on good circumstances. If the world can take away our troubles through health insurance or retirement accounts or flood protection or bomb shelters or labor-saving devices, then the world can give us some peace of mind. But Jesus says, 
not as the world gives do I give to you, which means that his peace is not based on good circumstances. It is given and it holds sway in our life in spite of bad circumstances. Here's how Jesus says it in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart in that tribulation. I have overcome the world. In other words, our peace will make no sense to the world. That's why Paul calls it in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Human understanding cannot produce this kind of peace or understand it. Why not? The ultimate reason is that it is not human peace, it's God's peace. The peace between Jesus and his Father that Jesus talks about in verse 27 of John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. His peace. I'm not creating your peace, I am sharing with you my peace. I am bringing you into my peace, says Jesus. Your peace, Jesus, they're about to kill you. What kind of peace is that? Perfect peace with my Father. Tomorrow, he says, I will go to the cross and there I will open the door for my sheep to enter my peace with my father. I will satisfy his justice and I will purchase your forgiveness and I will provide your righteousness and I will bring you into the very peace that I enjoy with my father and nothing and nobody will be able to take it from you. John fourteen twenty seven again, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to I give you. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled or let them be afraid. Jesus is saying here to receive his faith that he has in his father's sovereignty over Satan. He's saying receive his joy that he has in his father's greatness. And he's saying to receive his peace that he has in his father's favor. Faith, joy, and peace is his and yours. We have an amazing Savior and a great salvation. Amen to that. We continue. Second Chronicles 31, verse 1. When all of this was completed, all Israel who had attended went out to the cities of Judah and broke up the sacred pillars, chopped down the Asherah poles, and tore down the high places and altars throughout Judah and Benjamin, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, to the last one. Then all the Israelites returned to their cities, each to his own possession, Hezekiah reestablished the divisions of the priests and Levites for the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, for ministry, for giving thanks, and for praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord, each division corresponding to his service among the priests and Levites. The king contributed from his own possessions for the regular morning and evening offerings, the burnt offerings of the Sabbaths, of the new moons, and of the appointed feasts, as written in the law of the Lord. He told the people who lived in Jerusalem to give a contribution for the priests and Levites, so that they could devote their energy to the law of the Lord. When the word spread, the Israelites gave liberally of the best of the grain, new wine, fresh oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field, and they brought in an abundance, a tenth of everything. As for the Israelites and Judahites who lived in the cities of Judah, they also brought a tenth of the herds and flocks, and a tenth of the dedicated things that were consecrated to the Lord their God. They gathered them into large piles. In the third month, they began building up the piles, and they finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and viewed the piles, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the piles. The chief priest Azariah of the household of Zadok answered him, Since they began bringing the offering to the Lord's temple, we have been eating and are satisfied, and there is plenty left over because the Lord has blessed his people. This abundance is what is left over. Hezekiah told them to prepare chambers in the Lord's temple, and they prepared them. The offering, the tenth, and the dedicated things were brought faithfully. Kananiah the Levite was the officer in charge of them, and his brother Shemai was second. Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Ashael, 
Jeremoth, Jatsabad, Eliel, Ishmakiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were deputies under the authority of Kananiah and his brother Shammai by appointment of King Hezekiah and of Azariah, the chief official of God's temple. Kor, son of Imna, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the free will offerings to God to distribute the contribution to the Lord and the consecrated things. Eden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah in the cities of the priests were to distribute it faithfully under his authority to their brothers by division, whether large or small. In addition, they distributed it to males registered by genealogy three years old and above to all who would enter the Lord's temple for their daily duty, for their service and their responsibilities according to their divisions. They distributed also to those recorded by genealogy of the priests by their ancestral families and the Levites twenty years old and above, by their responsibilities in their divisions, to those registered by genealogies with all their dependents, wives, sons, and daughters of the whole assembly, for they had faithfully consecrated themselves as holy, and to the descendants of Aaron, the priests in the common fields of their cities, in each and every city, there were men who were registered by name to distribute a portion to every male among the priests and to every Levite recorded by genealogy." Hezekiah did this throughout all Judah. He did what was good and upright and true before the Lord his God. He was diligent in every deed that he began in the service of God's temple, in the instruction and in the commands in order to seek his God, and he prospered. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1, On that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will remove the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. I will banish the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. If a man still prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, You cannot remain alive because you have spoken a lie in the name of the Lord. When he prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will pierce him through. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not put on a hairy cloak in order to to deceive. He will say, I am not a prophet. I work the land, for a man purchased me as a servant since my youth. If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your chest? Then he will answer, I received the wounds in the house of my friends. Sword, awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones in the whole land. This is the Lord's declaration. Two-thirds will be cut off and die, but a third will be left in it. I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand, filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus, and when I saw her, I was greatly astonished." Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. 
The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them, because he is lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. He also said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. Well, that is a mind-blowing passage. And we have a mind-blowing God who is so good and so gracious to us. I hope that uh, this is a day that you are still rejoicing in the gift and the birth of Jesus, our Savior, and his death on our behalf and his resurrection and the promise of eternal life that he offers to all who will look to him in faith believing, turning from their sins to follow him. My friends, may you do that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Good day and Godspeed.